for Advisors, a podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we've got a very special guest, a television celebrity, Pam Kruger, star of PBS series Money Track, which helps consumers get the most from their investments. Pam's spoken with a wide variety of consumer investors and those seeking and working with financial advisors and has some firsthand insights as to what your clients think of you and how they want to react with you to get the best results. Pam is the creator of an award-winning Money Track Investor Education television series, seen nationally over 250 PBS stations. She's the recipient of a 2009 and 2010 Gracie Award, educating the public about personal investing and finding the right financial advice. Watch for Pam's newest one-hour special, Money Track, Money for Life, on PBS stations starting now. Pam serves on the board of directors of the California Jumpstart Coalition, an organization dedicated to increasing financial literacy among children and teens. She received the Financial Educator of the Year Award from the Financial Literacy Institute. Pam, we're honored to have a celebrity of your stature on the program today. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy production schedule to join us. I love being here, Dave, and I'm a big fan of the podcast. In your work, both on and off the air for your program, you've spoken with literally hundreds of consumer investors or would-be investors over the years, many of whom work with a financial advisor already in some capacity, be it a broker-dealer, DIY platform like Charles Schwab or Fidelity, or an RAA like many of our listeners. Are consumers more interested in DIY solutions, or are they realizing things are pretty complex out there in the investment world, and some skilled and educated help might come in handy as they get more advanced and have more assets to manage? I think that it's all of the above, and some of it depends on where they are in life, where they are in their career stage. So, you know, you might have a younger um, consumer slash investor who just loves the idea that he or she can do so much investing on their own with all the plethora of, you know, really great tools that are practically free, um, robos that come in every shape and size from 401k robos to, you know, betterment. They can pretty much do so much more on their own. And then you get into the client who says, ah, my life has gotten a lot more complicated. Robo me not. I mean, you might have a parent who passed away. It might be a divorce. Um, It could be simply just that someone is trying really hard to balance between saving for their own retirement, paying for their kids' college, And then, oh, by the way, we just found out we have to help out our aging parents with some of their finances. Juggling all of that, that's not for a robo, at least not in the year 2020, you know, maybe in another 15, 20 years, maybe. But that's what it's all about. Don't you think it's mostly emotions? It's things that happen that scare people. And then people say, I need a real advisor. I need to talk to somebody who knows more than I know about taxes, about all kinds of areas they feel they do not have the knowledge. And that's, when you think about it, that's really good news for advisors because uh, make no mistake, complexity is one of the main drivers for consumers to find an advisor to work with. It's the Kickstarter. When something goes askew, something tilts off balance, they start looking for help. Regulation is another driver. Uh, Federal and other financial regulations become more complicated and the penalties become steeper. Uh, the more the help of an advisor makes sense, even for those with lower levels of assets. Have you uh, seen this being mirrored amongst your viewers as well? Yes, I think that all of this all together bodes well for people who are going to always want and need to sit down with somebody to hear the advisor 
who's the expert in the expert chair, sit across from them and put their hand out and say, we got this. You are not going to get that from a robo. You really can't get that from yourself. And I've seen even some of the smartest do-it-yourself investors who have been with, you know, using Vanguard, for example, managing their own money, like my brother. That's how my brother was. He was an engineer. But there would come a time also that he would really appreciate being able to collaborate and sit down with a uh, financial planner who really understands cash flow analysis because my brother wanted to make sure that accuracy, you know, rules the day here. He's an, as an engineer, he's pretty sure he's got it right. But yes, all of that and regulation included becomes a big driver of continued demand for human advice. I think there's a big motion that needs to be taken into account here that you're not going it alone has a lot of value and that the advisor needs to sort of own that and realize that having that expert sitting across from them has value all by itself. It's not that they have to keep proving how smart they are. It's just that they have to be there for the client. I think that's really important. We've tentatively titled this episode, Three Things Your Client Won't Tell You, as a way of sort of gathering some of your consumer-driven insights and presenting them to our listeners in a very user-friendly way. How long has it taken you to gather up some of this information we're going to hear about today? Well, I'm in a really unique position, Dave, because through the creation of WealthRamp, which is my way of helping our viewers and our audiences who have always said to me, hey, Pam, I trust you. Who can I go to who really truly follows fiduciary best practices, is truly working only and directly for me, and oh, by the way, is competent? How do I find that person? So when I started putting WealthRamp together about four years ago, I was in the unique position to be adding advisors on the platform, each of whom I have thoughtfully vetted, and then I get to hear what these users are saying behind your backs. Plus, I get to see their actual user behavior around the advisor's profiles. You take all of that data in over four years, and you come back with some pretty compelling evidence that really supports what you've known on an intuitive le level, meaning me, having been on the consumer side as an investor advocate on PBS, it just, what it does is it fortifies what I felt I already knew, but now I've got the data to prove it. And speaking of data, how many data points are we really talking about here? How many investors have you spoken with to divine some of this stuff? I'm sure it's a big number. Um, thousands. And that doesn't include the people that I hear from who are from the media you know, the, the media audience, but that's where it all started. This all started because I realized there is true demand for excellence in advisor services where advisors can provide the client with an outstanding experience because they just kept asking me, Dave, over and over and over. How do I find, they used to say to me, Pam, I know you hate advisors. You're always teaching us we can do this ourselves on PBS. And, but we want to use a real advisor. And I would say, no, no, you had me all wrong. I don't hate all advisors. I love 5% of them. And I got that question so many times. How do I find, how do I find? And, and every time they did, and they were describing what they were looking for, it just, it just fortified, you know, the kind of advisor profile that I feel that most people in America are looking for. There's some certain 
uh, characteristics that people want and need in their advisor. So long story short, a lot of data points, a lot of real evidence that supports uh, what we know clients really want from their advisor. Now, just to, to make sure we've got a, a good handle on this, in the interest of transparency, these three big items that we're going to talk to about in a minute can apply both to current clients and prospects, right? Because we're sitting in a across the desk situation in both cases, whether you're trying to sell them in or whether they're on your annual visit, um, we still got to communicate in the right way. That's right. Whether you're talking to someone who you've never worked with before or whether you're you know, meeting with somebody you've met with for 10 years. All right. Now that we know the advisor, before we get to the big three, uh, sum up for me what the average investor's approach is to assessing their own investment acumen. You mentioned your your engineer uh, brother was pretty close to being right and, and knew it. How do they make the decision to seek out a financial advisor in the first place? Is there something that says, well, I may need some help? Uh, most have approached this from a variety of levels and have been approached by lots of different practitioners from an insurance broker to a broker dealer or an RIA. What is it that tips them over? actually forming a relationship with a professional and how do they make the decision as to which one? Right. And I think that people like my brother with the engineering background and that kind of, um, that kind of mentality, if you will, or that frame of reference are a little bit different. So let's put them in a different category. When we talk about typical, and I wouldn't say average, but I would say typical clients, what motivates them? It's one word, fear, even more so than greed, fear. So watch what happens when the market has a really trippy day. You know, the advisor's phone's going to ring like crazy and they're going to be prospects calling, not just clients, prospects, because that's when we see people coming to WealthRamp and going, help, help, because people realize we didn't grow up learning the one thing we really needed to learn in high school, which would be financial literacy, to be taught a little bit about how the world works, capitalism. So people are very, they're acutely aware of what they, that they don't know enough and they're very insecure. So it doesn't take much, a pin drops and they're scared and fear and insecurity is what drives a lot of conversations with advisors. So now we know what tips over investors to go looking and we know what they think of advisors in general, especially if they've talked to you, how well educated they think they are regarding their finances, which is usually exaggerated. Let's talk about the big three then, now that we've got a good handle on who we're talking about. Okay, we've led up to it, and now we're going to unleash it. I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm going to pull a Casey Kasem on you here. We're going to type number three first, the least specific one. Uh, number three, I want our conversations to be about me. I'm the client here. How does this play out on a practical level? Let me count the ways. Look, you're an advisor. You know a lot. You, you can't help it. You, you end up, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where it, it, the routine becomes rather rote and the conversations, you can't help but to default, to want to explain to people, comfort people, give them a sense that, you know, you're in the right place because here's how I operate. You're in the right place because here's my team. Here's my gravitas. Here's my background. Here are my designations. You're in the right place because you may not realize this, but I really am a fiduciary. And let me explain to you how that's different. All of that is really super valuable, but there's a time and a place. Clients come to you to be heard. It's about them. So can you imagine 
you go to a therapist. You've never been to a therapist before, but you've got a big problem that's driving you into that therapist's office. You sit down, and how would you feel if the therapist, the guy gets up and starts pacing the room and saying, you know, let me explain to you where I went to school and my background and my approach. And I wrote these white papers, by the way. And you're going to be sitting there going, oh, dear God, I thought this was about me. That's the same thing, because if you really think about it, that is the role of an advisor to make you calm, to make the client calm, make the prospect feel better about their situation. So by the time a prospect has found you, they either found you through a name, a trusted referral, or some other trusted source. And when they come to you, they've already Googled you, most likely, 90% of the time. And so they're ready for you to ask questions about them. And it's a little bit counterintuitive, because you feel like you need to explain yourself and you don't. But a lot of really great advisors already know this and they practice it. But I'm gonna tell you on a day-to-day -day basis, I see advisors slip back into that role. And Dave, this is true on websites as well. This is true with how advisors who are fiduciary fee-only, let's say RIAs, how they position themselves on their websites. The very, very first thing that a client wants to read about you is what you do for your client. What are your clients getting from you? Then they'll want to read on and find out about your gravitas, your team, your approach, your philosophy. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I really love that analogy that the, the, the advisor as therapist, we're kind of financial therapists in, in a way. And I think that's a good mindset for people to enter into when they have either a client or a prospect in front of them. You're a trusted physician. You know all that stuff. They assume you do, or you wouldn't be sitting where you are. So quit trying to, you know, prove you're the smartest guy in the room. They know that already, or they wouldn't be there. Uh, whether it's a new relationship or a longstanding one, the client is still king and they need to be heard and acknowledged before imparting any of your wisdom and crystal ballishness about their money. Okay, now we've opened the discussion on client communication in general and how that conversation needs to be lopsided, but not towards yours, towards the side of the client. <laughs> exactly. Tell me about the tone of that conversation from our side, which brings us to number two. Okay, so number two, the biggest thing your clients are saying behind your back, and they're telling me, is, I know he doesn't mean to, but Dave kind of talks down to me. Ooh, okay. And then I'll have a conversation with the advisor after they've met with a client or a prospect. And when I bring it up to them, some advisors are really, really open to it and will say, wow, yeah, I think I heard myself do that. Other advisors will deny, deny, deny and say, no, 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 I, I don't do that. But they need to understand how bonds and interest rates work. And that's all well and fine. But what happens is, and it's just natural, it's just human. When you know what you know, as well as you know it, you really can't help but to want to explain it. And you're excited about explaining it. And it makes you feel like you're in that teaching role. And that's really good. But I call it, you know how women say, don't mansplain to me, please? I call it advisor-splaining. And some advisors do it because they really need to do it. Because they themselves, they just feel like they are smarter if they sound smarter where the excellent advisor has a much more relaxed conversation 
where they're interacting with the client or the prospect and the prospect feels like, yeah, I am learning and picking up knowledge here, but this guy's not trying to showboat. He's not trying to, you know, be the, be the instructor and I'm the student on my first day of class. So it's a really good idea to be very, very well aware of it and try to put a governor on it. I'm telling you, it's, it's, we do it subconsciously. We all do it in, in every area of our life. You got to stop yourself sometimes, but don't let that become a habit because it's not a good one. You mentioned uh, mansplaining, and I, I have to do this in my house too, so I understand. Uh, does this sentiment apply across the board, or is it from one particular type of client more frequently that has this problem? I would say that because probably on WealthRamp, my number one client is, is going to skew slightly more female and is going to be someone who is 55 and older. And the last thing she wants to hear is, especially if the advisor is a male, is, you know, the advisor, you know, basically it's, it just becomes that sense of, uh, you know, I, I don't even want to get into this topic with this advisor because I know what he's going to do. He's going to be like, you know, eat now, Nancy, you know, let, let me explain to you the way the planets move. You know, it's just, it's a little too school it just feels like you're getting schooled instead of having a, a conversation back and forth with engagement and questions back and forth. It starts to feel like a lecture rather than a question and answer session. And I can see how that would work very badly in favor of the client. Yeah. And then, the, then the, what happens, Dave, is the client, um, the client's mind is roaming around the room um, while that's happening. And if it's a couple together, and the advisors, and I've, I've seen this happen, I've heard this happen, and everybody talks about it as the example of what not to do, and yet you still see it all the time, where the advisor sometimes can't help himself. He feels like, well, well, the spouse, the female, she's not been the one managing the portfolio. It's been him. I'm going to direct my attention to him. And so he, over the course of time, you do. You start designing all of your presentation and conversation and quarterly meetings where you're really talking to him and not her because you're thinking that she's sitting there rolling her eyes going, oh, I wonder what's going to be on Dancing with the Stars tonight. And at the same time, you have no idea that when they get home, she's going to, can I, I'm not going to, I guess I can't say this, rip him a new one <laughs> and say to her husband, hey, you know, what was that all about? We're not doing this. Did you hear that 1%? You didn't catch the fact that there are placement fees and those alternatives, did you? <laughs> she knows what's going on. Uh, it uh, sounds like a huge pitfall that a lot of people easily fall into and one that everyone needs to be extremely mindful of. We're coming up on a break. When we come back, we're going to reveal problem number one, and then Pam's going to tell us how to fix it. We'll be right back. Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there, but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need with a range of outsourced options and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. 
For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838. And we're back with Pam Kruger, host of PBS television show Money Track and Wealth Ramp, talking about three big things your clients will never tell you. Now we come to the most specific and probably most widespread complaint from advisors across the country about advisors across the country, because every advisor has to have this particular conversation with a client and or a prospect at some point or another. Drum roll, please. Cue the scary music. Number one, your fee structure completely baffles me. How do I know what I'm getting for advice is worth it? Pam, this is a biggie because it's so widespread among consumer investors. Break it down for our listeners. Tell us exactly what's driving this confusion about fees. Yikes. Well, it's easy to be confused when the industry itself is rather confused. I mean, it's only been in the past few years that, especially within the RIA community, that there's been this huge shift away from just simple assets under management fee, 1% or you know three quarters of a percent, to now more into retainer fees, financial planning, and bringing out the financial planning has its own value, and here's how we price that, et cetera. So with all of that, it's an evolution of the way the fees are, are changing over time. So the consumers are on the tail end of that. Advisors lead it because advisors are creating and developing you know, how they're going to be charging and their, their models. And then it's up to the consumer to Google and look and read and try to get educated. And I'm telling you, their heads are spinning because they feel like, oh my God, this guy thinks he's being clear and it's about as clear as mud. And especially when there are, when there's jargon that's brought in, you know, because the client doesn't get it. And Dave, this is not talking about people who are, you know, basically hiring financial planners without any assets to manage. I've seen this and heard this and had conversations and presentations in the room with folks who are five to 10 million and up, and they're all saying the same thing. We want a really simple, clear fee structure with total and 100% fee transparency. And, oh, by the way, we're not so crazy about the assets under management model anymore, where some advisors will say, look, we give you the financial planning for free because it's part of our whole approach. We can't possibly give you investment advice, sound investment advice, without going through the whole financial plan and digging into all the details. And, and then we charge our assets under management fee, whatever that may be. And they put down their pen and they look at the client or the prospect and the prospect is likely to say back, uh, that doesn't work for me. I don't want anything for free. I want you to charge me for the financial planning. I probably will be an ongoing planning client. I may or may not have all of my assets ready for you to manage my portfolio, but let me get to know you. Let's get the planning going. Let's make the fee make sense to me. Explain your value proposition. And then at that point, I'll probably decide that yes, in fact, I do want you to manage my portfolio. That is an example of how conversations are going these days. And I think that's a very different approach than a lot of advisors, especially those who've been in the business a while and have been RIAs for a while and built their entire lives around that AUM structure. 
uh, are not happy to hear that because they've got to rebuild and re-envision their entire lives. Now, we've had guests on our program. We talked a lot in some of the episodes about uh, building a niche practice and differentiating your practice to break away from the pack of other advisors. Would having a solid, easily understood value proposition and a clear fee structure be considered a differentiator for advisors? I think that the fastest growing, very successful RIAs who were not necessarily in the billion dollar AUM club, but maybe more in the everything from 100 million up to a billion. What I see is I see that these firms are successful and they're growing fast because they've got their messaging down. They're super clear about their value proposition. So in the mind of the smart investor, smart consumer, the consumer's real question when you boil it all down, isn't he just asking what's going to be the return on my fee? You know, that, and as a matter of fact, I'm actually in the process of writing something, it's a bigger project that tries to help advisors answer that question. In other words, it forces us to explain the value proposition in very, very clear language and sit back and be comfortable with it and know that you're going to get paid, you know your margins, and you know why you're charging the way you're charging. And that gives, that instills confidence in in the mind of the, of the client or the prospect that instills confidence because if you're able to articulate clearly, here's what I offer, here's who my clients are, here's why you're a great client fit for our firm, here's how we work, and here's what we do, and then here's how you're going to pay us and, and when you're going to pay us. Does that make sense? And then also sh- answering any other questions that they might have about um, you know, any other fees that are unseen you know, just being able to lay it all out. It's huge. It's a, it's a huge relief to both the advisor and the client to have that conversation, you know, and have it, have it clear for sure. It's a big selling point. Now, it, it seems to me like we've got a lot of work to do as advisors. It really sounds like we're going to have to do a lot of overhauling. Now that we know, though, what the most troubling concerns client has about our services and what we offer and how we communicate, how do we go about fixing some of these things that can help us be more effective and be more successful? What do we do? I think just being being really honest with yourself about how clear you are internally in the firm. I, I'm talking to a lot of RIAs who even within the firm, they'll say to me, Pam, our team is meeting about our fees right now and we haven't yet like all agreed that we're doing what we're doing or we're not doing what we're not doing. Or I've even seen situations where and this is something that's easily correctable. But I had a prospect who contacted one of the advisors who is, you know, basically charging retainer fees for planning and then ongoing fees for asset management, et cetera. You know, and it's all very, it's all very clear. But in the mind of the advisor, because the advisor has decided that, no, I'm not going to do one-off um, retirement plans I'm not going to do um, short-term engagements. I want long-term clients. Therefore, I don't provide hourly. Okay. In his mind, he checks the box. I am not an hourly planner. Done, right? No, not at all. I'll tell you why. Consumer reads an article that I wrote, and it was either in Forbes or Kiplinger. And that consumer was reading this whole article and we were talking about fees, and maybe he or she picked up on one word, hourly. 
And all they know, Dave, they don't remember the whole article. They don't speak advisor speak. So what did she do? She gets matched with the advisor, reaches out to him, and she says, oh, I see your fee only and blah, blah, blah. And I, I really just want to pay by the hour. Well, what do you think he did? He knee-jerk reacts and writes back and says, oh, we don't provide hourly planning. I almost died. I almost pulled my hair out. I got on the phone. And I said, oh, my God. Of course you provide hourly planning. No, it's not by the clock, tick tock, tick tock, but it's by complexity. It's by time you have to put into the plan. Therefore, you know you have a minimum fee of $2,500. Therefore, you know that this client is simply asking for fee only. That's what they're asking for, but they don't use your jargon because they don't know your jargon. So, so try to understand that you have your jargon and you think you've got it down just when you think you have it all figured out and you can explain it, remember the client prospect coming to you is not going to know enough to be perfectly in sync with your jargon. They are going to refer to it as hourly when what they really mean is I don't want to pay on commission. It's amazing insight. Even I was not aware of the, the, the fact that there was a difference in the perception of those two terms. I never would have thought that because we're too buried inside of it. Well, there you have it. Communicate clearly, generalize and simplify your conversations, quit trying to prove you're the smartest one in the room, and make transparency and a clear value prop a top priority. Sounds like a terrific formula for success. Every advisor, get out of the car, go in the office and get started right now. <laughs> Pam, thanks so much for joining us. I think we've all learned a lot about how our clients prefer to work with advisors, certainly what they need to continue to stay with us. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Dave. Great to be here. We've been speaking with Pam Kruger about three big things your clients won't tell you. If you have questions about how consumer attitudes are changing towards financial advisors and how they affect you or about anything you've heard on this program, drop us a line at fouradvisors at pinnacleadvisory.com and we'll get you an answer. You've been listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such. 